0: Crank up the volume and get ready for real-world bird hunting by listening to the Wingman Podcast by Eastman's. Now your host, Todd Helms.
1: Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Wingman Podcast. Uh, Thank you for joining us. And tonight, I've got a special treat. I've got Hugh Clark. (coughs) Pardon me. I have Hugh Clark with me this evening. Hugh is... um, works at uh, Alaska Outdoors Television. He's president of the Alaska Waterfowl Association, among many other things, a man of many talents. Hugh, you <laughs> were here you were just down here last week, and we tried to do this here when you were in Montana. Right. And it, di- it didn't work out um, due to, on my part, I, should, I would say technical difficulties, but it, it was just uh, knocking a couple elk down right before we did, had, were scheduled to do this. And you were you were kind enough to say, dude, I get it. Don't worry about it. Go get your help. Take care That's of it. Right. So I appreciate your flexibility and jumping on with us this evening, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you were, you are, I, I got, I got uh, became familiar with you via social media and the things that you're, that you do up there. Right. Um, you, you're in Anchorage That's and right. tell me about, Tell me a little bit about you, how you got up there, because anybody that's listening right now is going to go, that dude's not from Alaska.
0: <laughs> no, he's not. No, I mean, you know, originally I'm from Texas and, um, you know, I joined the service. I spent 25 years in the military, you know, going all over the country, all over the world, you know, chasing bad guys and stuff. I was a medic, had a lot of fun doing that. I was down in San Antonio teaching down there at a med center in school and, we contacted DA one day, there was five of us, you know, we were all senior instructors down there, and we contacted DA when they said they were going to start a a uh, 425 Brigade Combat Team up here in Alaska, you know, it was going to be an airborne unit, you know, and it had been a few years since we jumped, and we said, why not go jump in some snow, you know, it's got to be softer and landed on runways. Yeah, no kidding. So let's go, so let's go <laughs> to Alaska, you know, so all five of us kind of got in touch with DA, and uh, you know, we got our orders cut, and you know, we hit the road you know, I took 30 days to get up here, you know, I took my time, I got to see some beautiful country, went through Yellowstone, as you mentioned earlier, you know, stayed in Washington with a buddy, we just camped all those KOA campgrounds, and took our time, and got up here, you know, and hit the uh, the highway coming up, and, you know, got here, like, in September, I believe it was 04, and man, I tell you, I love it, I love Alaska, you know, it's, I mean, you oh, know, my passion's waterfowl, it always has been, it's kind of difficult up here, but you know, it was a dream to come to Alaska. You know, my parents lived here back in the 70s. My little brother was born here. And, you know, dad always told me, you know, as much as I was into hunting in the outdoors and fishing, he said, if you ever get to Alaska, you'll never leave. You know, and I got up here in 04 and I'm still here, you know, was it 18, 19 years later. So it's just always been, you know, Alaska's got so much to offer. I mean, you know, not only the fishing everybody's familiar with, the big game hunting, the waterfowl, it's, it's a smaller part of it you know obviously it's not like a lot of people were coming up here 10 15 years ago I mean I'm very familiar with every outfitter in the state of Alaska you know through Alaska waterfowl Association my network you know it, it extends past Alaska down into the lower 48 you know, I've got a lot of contacts you know we deal with a lot of companies that help support Alaska waterfowl Association sponsors and donors from all over the world and all over the lower 48 so we've got a a really good network. We've got a lot of friends out there and a lot of people that support us and the association. But you know, a lot of the outfitters up here as well. And it just seems like you know, I've heard you talking on other podcasts and stuff how the waterfowl industry has just exploded the last ten yeah. 15 years. I mean, you know it's gotten out of control. And up here, we've seen more outfitters open, you know, guiding businesses and stuff like that in the industry, and it's just booming. You know, it's booming the lower forty-eight. It's growing up here. Um, There's a lot of birds, you know, I mean, obviously everybody comes up here to get the Harlequin. There's only two places you can get it, you know, Washington state and Alaska. Um, It's a big thing. There's a few people come up here to try to grab some swans, you know, up North in Nome and stuff like that. But the eiders, you know, we've got the King Eider, which is huge, obviously out on St. Paul Island. Yep. At the Pacific Eider, which is probably the only place you can really grab those out down around, you know, cold Bay and, you know, down on the Aleutian chain. So it's got a very vast variety of waterfowl up here. And and then we got your puddle ducks too, but everything's brown. <laughs> you know, all the birds are brown in September. You know, they yeah. talk about, you know, you can only shoot so many different species in the lower 48, you know, maybe a or here. I think California's is one pintail a day. Up here, it's eight or 10 or whatever, yeah. you know. It's, yeah. it's, it's very hard with the whole, you know, with the waterfowl identification thing. You know, it's a big thing up here. Not a lot of people are versed in that you know and have the education behind it you know they see a duck that's got web feet and they shoot it you know and that's it so
1: it's interesting you say that um we just had the opportunity to hunt with Ramsey Russell yeah uh, a, week, a, a week a week ago i think it was now right. and one of the things that we were talking about in the blind and and we talked about on on he had me on his podcast too was the the brown duck thing the eight ducks is eight ducks yeah. You know, he's like, you go to Canada, eight ducks is eight ducks. You go to South America, eight ducks is eight ducks. Sure. It doesn't there's none of this identification. Because it was funny because as you know, because you were just here in Montana, we yeah. don't ha- we don't have a ton of birds yet. We have some. We have definitely have shootable numbers, but we're yeah. not we're not loaded up. It's warm, oh. it's warm everywhere, and we're just not loaded up like hopefully we will be in
0: a few weeks. And I'll tell you, I I mean, I was down there just just, uh, four days ago. I mean, I got back, uh, was it Sunday night, you know, so I got right night, but I was down there for four days and I was in Cascade in that area hunting the Missouri river. And I got very fortunate, a buddy of mine lives there. He used to be a board member of Alaska Waterfowl Association here in Alaska. He retired. He was a teacher. He said, I'm moving back to Montana. And he moved back. And he told me last year, he said, you know, you need to put in for the swan tag. You know, I've always kind of been on the fence about the whole swan thing. And, you know, I decided of the North America 41 or whatever, you know, I never really thought about starting to pursue that. But over the years, when it kind of became a subject that people were talking about, I got to looking at the list. I started checking off the birds. I'm like, you know, I've only got about a handful left to get, you know, so let's give it a shot. And I put in for the swan tag, Todd, and I got uh, drawn for it. You know, he sent me a text one morning, like 630 in the morning, ping on Messenger. And he's like, hey, brother, (laughs) you know, congratulations, you got the tag. He goes, I've got like eight buddies that put in for it, and there was only two that got it, so I said, well, hell, you know, I guess we're going to Montana, so we flew in, and, you know, literally within an hour of landing, we're surrounded by 15, 20 swans, trumpeters, the tundras, and it just didn't feel right that day. I said, let's just wait, you know, let's back out, let's see what they do in the morning, and we got up, and next morning, we went down to the marsh, and they were all sitting there sleeping, and you know, I'm not going to walk up and sluice the swan, you know. So I sure. wanted them to fly or something like that. You know, we had decoys and stuff, so we kind of bumped them out of there a little bit. And uh, one of them got up and started to come around to my left, you know, 25 yards. You know, pulled the Browning up, you know, the trigger's gold and it folded, and that was it. <laughs> you know, and it, was, it was, you know, it didn't go 20, but uh, that's it awesome. Was, uh, it was a great, great experience. It really was. You know, it was very humbling. Probably the only one I'll ever shoot. You know, yeah. to be honest with you. you know, yeah. I mean, I have no desire to shoot another one. It was kind of like the emperor goose, you know, up here. You know, when they started that, you know, huge successful conservation plan there.
1: Huge, yeah.
0: Uh, you know, we got that, and then we just, uh you know, we drove around, and as we were there, like you mentioned, it's been so warm. You know, up until the time I got down there, Frank was telling me. He says, "Hugh, because I'm just not seeing the birds typically this time of year." You could drive down 15, and there's 5,000 birds in these barley fields. You know, left and right, and you go out with. Three four hundred decoys, set them up, and you're done the first hour and a half of daylight. So, you know, we really struggled. But as we were there, I think the third day we were there, we started seeing more birds. We found a field that had probably three to four hundred in it. You know, we called the landowner. You know, we used that Onyx program. Yep. You know that app. You know, which was yep. Cool, you know, and we called the landowner, and she was real nice, and she allowed us access to the property. And we went in and set up our decoys. You know, we pulled half a dozen birds or so out of there. You know, it wasn't too bad of a shoot, but the mallards, you know, they're hammering those barley fields now. I mean, all those geese, you know, when you drive down those highways, that's all you see. It's just barley fields everywhere. It's beautiful country, man. I mean, it was some of the most gorgeous country I've ever seen. I've been all over the place. Kansas kind of reminded me a lot of Kansas. Sure. You know, I was stationed there for about 12 years, and it was like the waterfowl central place to be. I mean, it seemed like every bird from Canada just funneled down through Kansas, Nebraska, South Dakota, North Dakota, you know, as you're aware you know, on that central flyway, and, but it really reminded me a lot of that, but we didn't see, I mean, I bet I didn't see a, one other bird, I think we shot a widgeon one day, that's the only other species I saw besides mallards, you know, and it got to the point to where we started calling them M&Ms, man, these Montana mallards. (laughs) we hate them, let's just go kill them today, you know, and and Frank would wake up in the morning, he said, guys, let's go get some M&M's, i would be like, all right, brother, let's go, but we had a great, great time doing that, a lot of fun, hunting them for three days, and then we came back, and you know, it was like minus 14 when I left here, and I got down there, and it was 40, you know, so we're, you know, staying nice and warm, and then we get back up here, of course, it's like minus 15 again, you know, so all the birds are gone. Everything's gone here. You know, there's still guys down on the Aleutian chain hunting birds. I've got a friend that's coming in soon, you know, and you know, she's got a tag to go down and get an emperor down there, you know, and they're still pulling birds out of there, you know, but that's a, that's a whole nother area to talk about, man. But as far as Alaska goes, there's just, it's so much of a variety from Southeast Alaska down by Juneau, Ketchikan, Sitka, you know, we've hunted all those areas all the way around down to the Aleutian chain, you know, and it's just such a large variety of birds. And as far as opportunity goes, you know, guys in the lower 48 that want to come up here, man, you know, I mean, I get hit up all the time, obviously with the association, and then with the TV show as well. And, you know, people send me emails or messenger or text or whatever, you know, and they've got a lot of questions about it. You know, when you're sitting in the lower 48 and you're on your couch and your recliner, and you know, you're watching these shows on TV, You know, when you want to come to Alaska, you want to get your Harlequin, you want to go shoot Pacific Black Brand, or you get drawn for the Emperor tag. there's, you know, there's three or four outfitters that that specifically guide for that bird, and they'll hit me up, you know, and they'll kind of do a little Q&A, you know, and try to feel it out, you know, and we don't, you know, we don't hold any punches. I mean, you know, all the outfitters up here are respectable and stuff, you know, but some of them do things a little differently, you know, that might cater to that guy's style of hunting or his personality or whatever you know, so we try to link them up with the right people for the job. And, you know, so far, we've had a lot of fun with that.
1: I would imagine that, um, hooking people up with the right outfitter or the logistics of hunting waterfowl in Alaska have got to be insane at times. You Mm -hmm. know, I, I think about, you know, you're not just going to go out and plop on a rock and shoot a King Eider. Right. You know, there's, that's an adventure in itself. Getting there is an adventure in itself, oh, yes. Absolutely. not j- and then hunting the bird is a whole other ball of wax. You know, you, I think about some of the, some of the big inland marshes that you guys have and you don't just drive up park and go hunt. There's yeah. more to it than that. And for guys from the lower 48 that want that experience, having a connection like Alaska waterfowler's. Is priceless.
0: It is. It really is. You know, we get guys that, you know, will reach out and, you know, they'll say, Hey, you know, I want to come to Alaska. I would like to grab a Barrows, you know, Goldeneye. You know, I'd like to get a chance at a Harlequin. And then I would like to get a chance at a Pacific Eider. Well, that kind of changes things right there. You know, they can't wrap their head around, I'm not going to shoot a Pacific Eider where I can shoot a Barrows and a Harlequin, you know, you know, so I might have to make two trips. Now, there is, you know, we've got Kodiak. for instance. Kodiak has a small colony of pacifics over there, maybe 60 to 80 birds, might be a little bit more than that. And they've got barrels and they've got harlequins, you know, and there's a couple of outfitters over there. But the number of birds and the opportunity, if you're going to spend the money and the time, you know, to focus on those certain species, you need to go with somebody who, you know, you've got a 99.9% chance of getting that bird. You know, I mean, I can't control your gun, I can't control your trigger pull, but I can give you the opportunity you know, that's gonna make you successful if you can succeed. So that's what a lot of it boils down to that and budget, man. I mean, you know, when people contact us, and they're like, look, you know, I want to come up and shoot a hard one, you know, well, what kind of an experience do you want? You know, do you want to spend five grand for a week? Or are you talking 250 bucks a day? You know, right? I mean, you know, for two days, you know, so that's kind of the first thing I throw at them. And, you know, we'll get to talking about it, you know, we've got guys that you know, I've got buddies out of Whittier that guide, you know, they've got liverboard boats. They've got guys down in Homer where you can stay in a hotel and 250, 300 bucks a day, you know, he'll take you out in the skiff. we got guys down in Ketchikan, you know, um, you know, and then we've got, you know, a lot of friends and a lot of guides down the Aleutian chain, you know, Cole Bay, just a phenomenal place. I think if, you know, if you're a waterfowler in North America, you need to experience either, you know, St. Paul Island is a pinnacle, obviously, because of the King Eider, but Coal Bay is a place that I think it's it's often overlooked. You know, you hear a lot of people talk about, you know, for the Pacific Black Brant, people run to, you know, they run to California. You know, you might pick up a few along the, you know, the Pacific Flyway, but if you want to see numbers that will blow your mind, you know, they got the largest eelgrass bed in the world, the Eisenbeck Lagoon. And I've been going there for five years straight. There's a buddy of, I've got eight buddies and we call ourselves the Brant Brigade. It's kind of funny, but you know, we all go down there every year and we have a blast, man. I mean, you know, eight solid guys, everybody brings something to the table. Everybody contributes. We take a couple of dogs and we go down there and just rent the old beaters with a heater. You know, we shove it full of decoys. We go out, we walk, we set up, you know, we we ship Zodiacs, we ship motors, but it's, But there's like four or five outfitters in that area as well that provide quality experiences for the guys who want to take the time and want to go down there and shoot Pacific Black Brant. You know, you got four subspecies of cacklers down there, you know, so you're able to get those as well. You got the taverners, the Lessers, the Richardsons, and the Aleutians down there. And that's a really neat experience, too, if you're trying to chase the subspecies, you know. So it's just it provides, and you've got a lot of birds, a lot of ducks down there as well, you know, people go down and chase the Aleutian green-winged teal, you've got the wigeon down there as well, you know, but there's just a lot of, a lot of really neat things down there, you know, and then you've got ADAC, for instance, you know, we've got some, some buddies down there in ADAC that guide as well, you know, and the birds, as the birds migrate down the Aleutian chain, you know, they're the next stop, you know, so you've just got people scattered all over the place, and if anybody's got it, you know, if anybody's got any questions, man, I always tell them, you know, reach out to me, you know, we'll do a quick Q&A, I can help you kind of narrow it down to maybe a region in Alaska that you're interested in, or maybe even a specific guy, you know, but it's, uh, you know, if I'm able to help those guys out with the knowledge that I have and save them money and save them time, and, you know, from doing their own due diligence, and that's what it's all about, brother, you know, it's like me trying to go to Arkansas, you know, I mean, if I've got a buddy in Arkansas or somebody that's willing to help me out, you know, and provide me with some information, versus going with a shady outfitter, or somebody that's reputable, you know, I'm going to take that time, and I'm going to do my due diligence to try to reach out to those guys, and that's what it's all about in the waterfowl community, you know, the network is so big right now throughout the lower 48, and you've got a lot of people, not to say anything bad about them, you know, Todd, but I mean, no, you know as well as me, there's people, everybody and their mother's trying to rent grandma's field, you know, and be a guide, you know, and it's, it's just really tough. It is, you know, for a lot of the guys that are trying to provide a reputable business and do the right thing and build, you know, their business up. And you've got guys that are kind of, you know, sneaking in from the left and the right, you know, not they're not trying hard as well, but still it's no, I
1: I agree. I agree. And and I think having someone like you that provides that service to just be like, you know, this is what you, this is what you say you're looking for. This is who you want to go with. This is, yeah, you know, absolutely. we vet, we vetted these guys. This is where you want to be.
0: Um, and that's not even really what the organization's about. I mean, like right. The, right. So, yeah, so I
1: mean, fill us in know, more on that.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah. No. And, and I wanted to get into that, Hugh, about yeah. what, because when you, when you go to the AWA website and you look, you guys are, you guys have habitat projects going on. You've got, yeah. it's, it's like a community, like you said. So it really is. Yeah. Tell, tell me, tell us about that.
0: You know, um, I was sitting over in Korea and, you know, before I left, I was here, you know, I was up here and I decided to go back to Korea for a couple of years, you know, before I retired. And when I was here, me and a friend of mine, he was an old timer, he's a really nice guy. And we had talked about starting a nonprofit here in Alaska and we was going to call it Alaska Duck Hunters Association, you know, or something like that. And then, you know, we got to looking for names and I came across, you know, it was Called Alaska Waterfowl Association. This old 1980s website, generic three pages. That was it. You know, this is who we are. Here's the second page. Click on that. Third page. That was it. And I was sitting in Korea, so I reached out to the, uh, you know, to the president at the time. And you know, he was a nice guy. You know, he was a younger guy. And I reached out to him, and I, I contacted him, you know, and see kind of what the organization was about. You know, and me and, you know, me and my buddy were kind of motivated, you know, to maybe. You know, get in somehow and see what we could do to help with it. You know, because we just felt like, you know, at the same time we wanted to help promote waterfowl hunting in Alaska, but at the same time help with maybe some conservation projects with fishing games. Alaska Fishing Game here is an amazing organization. I know a lot of people in there, and a lot of them are motivated, especially around waterfowl. You know, it's just not the moose, it's not the bears, the sheep, the goats. It was waterfowl, and it had a history. Um, you know, really nice history on it as far going all the way back to the oil days, you know, here in Alaska and the battles they used to have with the oil fields out here. And some of the original owners or some of the original founders were part of um Ducks Unlimited at the time, but they felt like at the time, you know, nothing against Ducks Unlimited, but they felt like at the time Ducks Unlimited wasn't taking the right stance against the oil companies here in Alaska. So they decided you know, these three guys decided to break off and form Alaska Waterfowl Association. And their goal just right over here across the Cook Inlet was to help secure 425,000 acres over here of wetlands to prevent the guys from coming in there and drilling natural gas. And that's what they did. These three guys petitioned, they got out, they knocked on doors, they were shaking hands and kissing babies and made things happen. And they got the money, they secured 425,000 acres over here on the other side of Cook Inlet which is over by the S.A.C. Yes, in the Flats, and it just kind of started from there, and that turned into a refuge, and then they helped, you know, you know, work some deals with the Palmer Hay Flats out here, you know, which is another, you know, marshy area out here, you know, that we hunt, and that's, you know, I'll talk about it later getting back to public hunting, but that's kind of where AWA went, and then there really wasn't much else going on after that. For years and years and years, it was just a good old boys club, And they would have a banquet every year, 50, 60 people. They would come in and get together, you know, and have a party and, you know, drum up a little bit of money, you know, and maybe give a little bit of money to, you know, to some of these youth shooting organizations here in Alaska that we've got. So getting back, me and, you know, me and my buddy started talking to the current president. And I said, you know, I'm gonna be ending my tour here pretty soon, I'm gonna be coming back to Alaska. Would you be interested in me taking it over? you know, as president, he said, man, I'll be happy to do that. We haven't done anything with it really in the last three or four years. If that's something you're really interested in doing, then, you know, we can put together a meeting. I'll raise my hand. I'll make a motion that you're going to be the next president. And that was it. You know, I mean, it was going to be that simple. So we had a meeting and I had my buddy, Frank, and we had some other guys with us and we walked in there and they had their originally, you know, now these are guys that's been a part of this organization for 30 or 40 years. I mean, you know, this is something that they really held, near and dear to their hearts and you know and we talked a lot about it prior to the meeting and even at the meeting and their stance was you know we don't have any problem with some more motivation with some more ideas and I gave them my vision I gave them my vision my views and I said this is where I would like to see AWA go I think we can grow it I think there's momentum here we just got to do some education and we've got to do some reach out and we sat down at the table. And within 30 minutes, I was the president. I had three board members. They kept four board members, you know, just to kind of balance it out. And that's how it went. And eventually over the years, people came and went as far as board members go or project managers or whatever. And now we've got to where we've got like, I believe it's a uh, 10 people, you know, to include myself in the board of directors and the treasurer and the projects manager. And it's been, it's just been awesome, man. It really has. We've got some really neat people got a great secretary. If it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be where I'm at. You know, she keeps me tied up, text and emails and everything else. And, you know, she's really great, but we've done a lot. Um, Our main thing um, outside of working with, you know, Alaska Fishing Game on some, on some smaller projects out on the hay flats, you know, we did a bird banding project with them a few years ago. That was great. You know, we got some youth out there and did that, but mainly it's just been after the banquets, you know, we have a certain amount of time, like any NGO, you know, we've got to give some money back, you know? So we, we try to do, then every summer, you know, we donate funds to these youth shooting organizations. There's a handful of them here in Alaska that hit us up every year. And lately it's been for ammo, man. And, you know, you know, as well as me, ammo is so hard to find right now. that It's been really tough. I was just talking to a lady last week that sent me an email and she was looking for some funds, and I said, you know, let's, you know, we'll take it before the board. But right now, they just can't find ammo. You know, I mean, some of these big companies like Midwest USA. You know, those guys used to donate tons of ammo to these youth shooting organizations. They're having trouble getting it. Um, you know, and I just, it's, it's been really tough. But you know, this year our project was one of the old um, board members reached out to me uh, about uh, four months ago, and he said, Hugh, down in Cold Bay. You know, we've got a pier. I don't know if you've ever seen that pier out in Coal Bay. It's probably half a mile. There's a pier that goes out into, the, out into the Pacific Ocean, man, out into the bay. It's like half a mile long. And it's got this huge pier out there. And that's where the barge comes in and offloads everything. So they were talking about, you know, there's no fish cleaning station. and There's no bird cleaning station. Everybody takes everything back to the house. You know, or back to the lodge to skin them out. And they said, let's build a, let's prefab a shack here. At one of the local lumber yards, and let's load it up and let's see if we can get that part of it donated. You know, get the barge part of it donated. We got a real good deal on the lumber. As you know, lumber went through the roof last year with COVID. Oh, man. Yeah. You know, you know uh, I think it was two by fours, normally three bucks. It was selling for 12 or 20. You know, it yeah. was crazy. So yeah. when the prices came down, we got a really good deal and we had it prefabbed and the native. Um, there was a native organization that was going to do their barge runs out to all these villages and stuff. And they actually donated the shipping of it out to Cold Bay. So we had the prefab, I think it's 16 by 16, that's going to be enclosed. And we're going to put it out on the end of that pier, you know, and donate to the community, donate it for the guides, the outfitters, anybody that's passing through there to utilize to help, you know, clean birds. Cause that wind's cranking 50, 60 miles out there. It's cold, feathers flying yeah. everywhere, you know. So it just gives somebody a nice place to be able to get inside that's kind of what we did this year, you know, besides helping the, you know, the youth shooting organizations and there's some other projects that we're going to look at working on in the future with fish and game, but it's just a band of brothers, man. Be honest with, you. you know, our banquets every April, you know, we start about right now, hitting up, you know, companies and organizations around the United States. that's always helped us out Sitka and Drake and all these guys have always been great vortex. You know, they're always helping us out with stuff. And then we've got our local companies here in Alaska, but every April we have the banquet, we've kept it anywhere from 175. I think we had like 221 one year, you know, we've talked about bumping it up, but that's a steady number. That number works for us every year. You know, we've looked at bigger venues, obviously, you know, you know, with bigger venues and more food, there's more money, but you know, every year we've made more money with these banquets. So that's been, it's been, you know, it's been a blessing It has, and it's really helped us out a lot the support that we get. Everybody looks forward to our banquets. It's family friendly. A lot of kids come, you know, we're always doing stuff for the youth as well, you know, so it's just a, it's just a great time, man. It really is.
1: That sounds super cool. That's, uh, you know, I, I think that those grassroots boots on the ground, local conservation organizations, and like you said, nothing against Ducks Unlimited yeah absolutely. delta they they all i mean we need we need them all absolutely absolutely Absolutely. but there's things that you can do when you see a local need there's it's it's, it can be difficult to navigate all those levels to get the help that you want or that you need where you see a project that could be done you know
0: it's really neat you know you know there was a few years ago we had a there's a young shooter that was a female and, you know, she was an Olympic shooter from Alaska. You know, you just don't get too many of those. no kidding. I mean, man, she was a pistol. She was a hell of a shot with a shotgun and her goal was to shoot on the Olympic team. That was her goal. And she had to qualify. So she, you know, came forward as a 17 year old girl, came forward, had a resume, wrote everything out, showed her pre-qualifications and everything. You know, and there was a lot of people supporting her, but this girl had her head screwed on straight and she came forward, you know, and she asked for funding and we sat down and we gave her some money and we said, look, you know, we're going to, if that's your dream, if that's your passion, that involves a shooting sport and we're going to do what we can do to help. And for four years, man, we helped her get all the way up to where she was shooting at the Olympics. And that was awesome. awesome. It was it was a lot of fun. And now she's doing her own thing, but, you know, COVID kind of shut some things down last, year. you know, and she's still got some ambition. But now she's out there mentoring other girls, you know, and other kids, you know, to do the same thing. And that's what it's all about, you know, because, I mean, you know, just like hunting, you know, the shooting sport. I mean, it's a dying breed, you know, with the way, you know, things are headed now in the in the country, in the world. You know, if we don't help support these kids and, you know, help support the youth and get them outdoors and show them what it's all about, you know, brother, we're going to lose it. I mean, no, that's the bottom line, you know, and get
1: them and get them hooked early, you know, when Absolutely. they're, when they're kids, you know, I've got, I know you have a set of twins. Yeah. Girls. 15 oh, buddy. <laughs> oh, buddy. And I, <laughs>
0: and I have two little Daily girls.
1: Battle. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I have two little yeah. girls and a little boy and, my, and mine are young, mine are six and four and, and one. Right. And getting those kids in in the duck blind, in the goose blind, getting them out. And so they can see it. You know, they look forward every time I come home, if they don't, excuse me, if they don't get to go, they're like, daddy, let me see the birds. Daddy, where's the birds? You know, and they're, they're constantly, they're into it. They're into Um, it. And they, they, (laughs) they love it, you know? So perpetuating that beyond the hard part is perpetuating that outside of your immediate family absolutely you know and seeing where there's opportunity outside of that that's tough
0: that's it tough is. it is tough, you know and that's something that you know that we've i remember years ago when we first got really involved with awa you know awa and ducks unlimited put on a little youth. it was it was called like a youth, little youth duck camp you know it was held down at one of the local gun ranges and we would go down there for a day and we'd have six or eight stations you know how to blow a duck call and here's your decoy spreads, now let's go over and shoot some trap, and it was a lot of fun, you know, we get a dozen kids, maybe 20 kids would show up, and then, um, you know, we kind of got away from that, and that's something that I would like still before I ever relinquish, you know, the president of AWA, that's one of the visions that I have, that's something that me and some of the other guys have, you know, we would love to set up like a week-long duck camp or something, you know, something up here in Alaska to help get the kids out there, and let's go through different phases, and let's you know, we can't really do the youth waterfowl hunt because our season is probably one of the longest in the in the United States up here. You know, it starts September the 1st and goes all the way into January sometimes, you know, in different wow. but it's um, I mean, you know, we can take kids out and do that. You know, we take kids out the first couple of weekends of September. It's nice. It's warm. I've been dragging my twins out to duck camp, man, since they were four years old. You know, you know, we let them go play in the mud. You know, they sleep in the tent. They get up. They'll get in the boat and ride out there. And then we would come back and they just loved it. You know, they're ripping the hearts out of them, you know, and helping to clean them and everything else. And they just having a great time with it. And then over the years, it got to the point to where dad, I'm not going this year, you know? And I'm like, Whoa, wait a second. What are you talking about? You know, you know, we've been doing this since you were four and they're like, well, you know, it's just not an in interest right now, you know? So I've got one, it's really weird. The dynamics I've got one that's, you know, she's turned into a beautiful young lady. And she, you know, her passion is theater, her passion is shopping, her passions, you know, that more feminine style side. And then the other one is like, Dad, let's go kill some ducks, you know, and she's kind of more tomboyish. you know, so she's the one that I usually end up traveling around Alaska with and taking hunting. Um, Really neat experience, man. I mean, it's awesome to be able to share it, maybe not with both, but at least there's one that kind of wants to show some interest and get into it you know last year I think it was last year the year before no it was last year she wanted to go with me I was going over to Sitka Alaska to hunt with a friend of mine that lives over there and you know he invited us out and I took her and we went out there for four days and she shot her first bird you know her first bird was an old squaw a long tail you know it took me it took me 40 years to get an old squaw you know (laughs) and that was her That was her first bird. And I was like, you have no idea what your dad went through to get that bird. And here you are, first bird you kill. And then her next bird on the wing was a surf scoter, you know. And it was just a great, great experience. You know, great as a father, obviously, you know, to see her do that and see the smile and all that, it was great. But just an overall great experience. We shot a couple of deer, had a fantastic time. But, you know, the dads out there and the moms, you know, whoever it is, you know, you just can't, you can't express Enough that you've got to take the time to get them out there. You know, you've got to set that time away on the case. Busy as our schedules are, you know that. You know, we want to travel, you know, we want to go hunt birds in different states and different regions of the world or whatever. But take a couple of weekends every year, you know, maybe two or three weekends and just dedicate it and say, look, if I've got a child that's interested in that, or if I know my neighbor's kid's interested in that, I'm going to take them out, you know, because that's what's important. I want to get them out there, introduce them to the sport if you can set that seed man and get it going it might grow into something might turn into something on the flip side it might not you know but at least the effort was applied and that's a hundred
1: hundred percent yeah a hundred percent it's it's kind of funny we we maintain a couple couple little properties here um and you know they people have been hunting them for a long long time and sure. And so I get phone calls, Hey, you know, I was hoping my kid and I, or, you know, my kid and his brother. And it's like, just go absolutely guys. You guys know where the blinds are. They're full of decoys. Use what's there. Just put it back when you're done. Have a good time. You know, if, and if, and if we're going to be down there, jump in, come on along, jump in some of those and some of those days, even when, even if you don't get into the birds, great. You're yeah. still having a great time. Dude, you that's know?
0: what it's all about, man. The camaraderie. I could talk uh, all day about absolutely the camaraderie shared in the blind time, man. It's funny you mentioned that. We were here. We are in Montana, Todd. Last week, we're sitting on the Missouri River, tucked in. We probably got a thousand mallards flying over us so over the last hour. You know, a mile high. You know, they're migrators. You know, they're coming out of the barley fields. Well, the day before, about the about. An hour before shooting time stopped, they were turning back around. And they were dumping into the river. You know, we were about a mile and a half down the river, and we saw them doing it, you know, the day before. So we go down there to set up. You know, we're set up in the right spot, right time. And we're on the Missouri River, man, in the middle of nowhere. And all of a sudden, we hear something behind us walking up, you know. You know, and naturally, as waterfowl hunter, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Game warden, you know. <laughs> here I am. He's coming up to check on us or say it was funny. We turn around, and here's this guy with these two dogs, That's walked probably two miles from his house to come to that exact same location. And, you know, what's the first thing we do? You know, we introduce ourselves, brother, grab a seat, you know, don't know this guy from Adam, but grab a seat. Here's what the birds are doing. Here's how the spreads sit up, you know, and let's kill some birds together, you know? And I mean, you know, when does that happen? You know, I mean, it's crazy. But it was just awesome to be able to meet somebody else that shares the same passion as we do. Never met the guy before in our life. Sat down, shook his hand. Within ten minutes, we're best friends. Yeah. You know, we're out there shooting M and M's all day long. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. No,
1: and that's and that's cool, man. I, I had a similar experience a couple of years ago. Went down to a spot that I've that I'd hunted, um, pretty regularly on and off, and all right. it was it was always great. It was it was always great, and. um a new fella bought the neighboring property and set up a blind. And here he comes a little bit before shooting light with his with his little boy. And I mean, right. I mean, little boy. This yeah. this this That's is so a little cool. boy. And it's That's like, so cool. dude, don't don't set up up there. Just we're set up. Just come on down here and jump in with us. You Absolutely. know. And it's just those kind of opportunities don't happen all the time. But when you're when you're going to be competing. You know, if you get to a spot hunting public, for example, oh, man,
0: don't even get me started on is...
1: public. It's, it's like, if you're yeah. hunting a public spot yeah. and, and I'm not talking public, like Arkansas public, you know, because the ability to have guys jump in with you in those situations, I've not been there. I've not done it, but I can only imagine that that, that may not be an ideal, an ideal situation, you know, but some of these other public spots, a lot of the public sp-
0: that we hunt is, is small, you know? Yeah. Well, that's lit- how it is for us. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, we've got a, we've got an area out, out there on the Palmer Hay Flats and there's multiple places out there to go, but to get to this one spot, you've got to have a boat. You know, you mentioned logistics in Alaska, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. you get out there and walk in that Muskeg is, you know, you're going to make it 150 yards and you're going to find a place to sit down and you're going to be done. But if you've got a boat and you can get to this place, you know, then you've got to do some other things to get into the lake. But once you get into the lake, it's an amazing Delta, man. It's some of the most beautiful country. I've got pictures on my social media and stuff of it. It's just an incredible backdrop with mountains in the background. And, you know, it can be some great shoots. And, you know, a lot of people take it for granted. But the backdrop and the people out there are really good. But then you get to the point over the years when I first started hunting out there, You know, I was the first person in Alaska to have a Four Rivers E-Bads. You know, when I retired from the military, I said, I'm buying a Four Rivers E-Bads. I'm going to contact Tom because I know him. I'm going to tell him I want one. We're going to ship it to Alaska. I don't care what it costs. And then I said, I want to put a copperhead on it, and I'm going to have the baddest little duck hunting rig up here. And sure enough, we did. And then a year later, my buddy bought the same rig, and we owned that lake at that time. I mean, it was crazy. But there was guys that had been hunting that lake, Todd, for 20 or 30 years before us. So now we show up out there with these new modernized, you know, duck hunting rigs. And they're out there with their little, you know, rowing kayaks or their little hand-built wooden canoes and, you know, more of a traditionalist aspect of it, if you will. And, you know, even though we felt like we were doing the greatest thing in the world, but to these guys, you know, and these guys took the time and over time we got to meet them and talk to them and they were just an amazing individuals and to hear the stories and to hear how to you know that area had evolved and the waterfowl hunting and we felt like you know the more the technology grows the more this industry grows the more i mean look at the companies with layout boats man i mean oh, it's man crazy. everybody and their mother's kicking out 10 12 foot aluminum boats or fiberglass and you slap a ppf on it or a copperhead and there's nowhere you can't go if the if the boat floats it'll go you know so you know you take something where you have to work really hard to get to a specific area over the years and now it's nothing you know 15 minutes we're in the lake from where we launch and you know before people were kayaking or canoeing six miles down there to get there you know dedication so there's so many different levels of commitment and then let's don't even get into the whole social media part of scouting and all that i mean it just gets crazy but that's a whole nother subject for another day but but getting back to the lake and the area that we hunted, we saw so many different people on different levels coming in. And when it really started growing, we got a lot of people out there that didn't have the experience with calling, didn't have the experience with decoy spreads, didn't have the experience with camouflage or cover, didn't understand the basic concepts with duck hunting. So we're sitting out in the blind one day, you know, we've got these nice little boats and we're covered up and These guys come walking in, trudging in, you know, four or five decoys around their backs, and they're only 150 yards from us. Well, you know that's too close, you know. I mean, you just can't make that happen. So we just holler them and say, hey, come on over. You know, bring your decoys over here. I've got room in my boat for another guy. You know, my buddy does as well. Let's mix your decoys with ours. And let's let's take the opportunity to teach these guys a little bit more about what the sport is, you know, the calls, the different types of calls to use and different types of times to use them and the different birds and bird identification. You know, we won't want, I mean, you know, we don't want to choke them with it, but at the same time, just slowly introduce it to them. And, and you know, over time it helps. And then we ended up seeing over a period of time where we hunt that as it grew more people and then, you know, the involvement with AWA, it got to the point to where, well, maybe what we're doing, promoting the sport and getting the brotherhood and all that, we started having so many people show up. You know, we started having these big camps, we started having these big groups. It was great camaraderie, but at the same time, that specific area could only hold so many people to where the birds started getting pushed out and got over pressured. So, you know. You know, you're going to have that with any compound. I mean, you know, there's places in Tennessee, Real Foot Lake, you know, you go down south, you know, you could be hunting Baffin Bay down by Corpus Christi. And if you just get too many people in that area, it just pushes the birds out, you know. So, you know, when you get to public hunting, you've only got so many areas that you can put so much pressure on and the birds are going to go and everybody starts complaining. Everybody's like, well, the birds aren't here. No, you know, the birds are here you know they're just in a different area you know because yeah. we got too many people here and in alaska you know logistic wise we we're talking about it earlier you know it's like when this marsh freezes up usually our season you know it starts september the 1st by the time you get to the third week of october these marshes start locking up by 1 november you're not putting a boat in anywhere except for the river of the salt and the birds will push to the river and you know we'll go hunt the rivers and then we'll end up turning to the salt you know and we get out there and you get in those estuaries and you can still get some good puddle duck shoots and we start shooting a lot of golden eyes and then we start chasing the sea ducks and then once that's uh you know come around probably the second week of december and even those birds start pushing out you know when our season starts shutting down so it's it's just a continuous transition you know like anywhere else like in canada you know i'm I was in Montana the other day and I have a buddy up in Saskatchewan and he's freaking banging birds out of the field left and right. And I'm like, man, what the heck are they still doing up there?
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, that's, right now, so. uh, uh, we, 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 yeah, that we, that happens to us. It seems like every year, the last few years, especially it's like, had to go to have, having to go to Montana because it's, it's warm and the birds are up there on the Missouri. They're up there on the Yellowstone, you know they don't have to they don't have to leave but
0: no not at you all you know it's
1: it's interesting what you say about you know it's a double edged sword really is. with getting people involved and that pressure that comes with that because the only way we continue to propagate this sport is through recruitment we talked about that earlier with hunter recruitment yeah but it is a tough tough thing because with hunter recruitment comes added pressure to the resource ultimate ultimately if we don't have that hunter recruitment then we don't have people getting passionate about protecting birds conserving conserving habitat yeah and not just organizations but the birds and the the birds themselves and the habitat that they need and so i don't know man it's going to be interesting the next few years i think to see are we reaching critical mass in the industry are we reaching critical mass in within the sport with the number of people wanting to hunt ducks a waterfowl and the availability of hunting spots and birds themselves you know it's you know it's going to be interesting to see because i think i think when we hit that tipping point and hunt and, and hunting success starts to suffer you're going to see guys pull away you're going to see guys.
0: Well, I'm already seeing you know, guys pull away. I mean, yeah, I've got a good friend of mine that hunted this specific area, Todd, for 20 years. And when it got to the point to where a certain amount of people started showing up, you know, and I hunted with this guy, man, for years. You know, we shared the same boat together. We killed a lot of different birds out there. We just had some awesome experiences together. But it eventually, he just he just stopped going. You know, he'd come up in the weekend. I'm like, where are you at, brother? And he's like, man, I'm not going. You know, I'm just, you know, I'm gonna go chase moose here in a couple of weeks or something like that. You know, and that's the other thing too. And that's one good thing that that we have seen is that, you know, no matter where you go, opening weekend of waterfowl season is just insane. I don't care oh, yeah. what state you're in, I don't care where you're at. But up here, you know, with the way moose season opens up and sheep season opens up, and these, you know, all these different seasons are kind of staggered. You get a big push at the beginning of the season. But then by the second or third week of September, people are out chasing meat for the freezer, you know, and they pull away from the waterfowl and then it kind of gives us a little bit more, you know, room to move around. So it kind of balances itself out. And I've seen over the years, over the last 15, 20 years, you know, the military as well. You know, I mean, there's a huge base right here and you get a lot of soldiers that come through in PCS and it just seems like over the years you'll have a lot of waterfowlers in here, you know, where people come in, you know, and they'll do anything. From Arkansas, Louisiana, wherever they're from, you know, diehards, and they want to hunt the birds and they'll hunt every freaking day if they can. But then, you know, over time, those guys leave, you know. So we see a, a flex, if you will, of people kind of hitting it hard one year and the next year might be a little light, but I think it's that way anywhere you go. But it, it up is there with a small amount of public hunting that we have, it's more identifiable than it is, say, if I was hunting a reservoir of 50,000 acres, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. It's, it's, and we're the exact opposite of you guys because right. our big game seasons. Oh, it's, it's a flip flop. You know, it's, it's, where big game seasons are September and October for the most part. There's right. some late, there's some November opportunity, but by the time we get really good numbers of birds, big game seasons are over. So right. guys have done the big game thing. And if they're still, they're still hunting. That focus is on waterfowl. And so it's, it's interesting. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what we're going to see when it's all said and done. And I don't want to be doom and gloom. That's not the whole point because right. no, we, no. we need those, we need those hunters.
0: Yeah. got to recruit a man. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Gotta get out there. You know, I mean, you know, if we stop taking kids and we start introducing people to the sport, I mean, even adults, I mean, if if there's a friend or somebody that's interested in going, you know, get their license, get their tags, take them out, shoot some rounds, you know, and then, you know, take them out. I mean, I've taken so many people out waterfowl hunting and, you know, over the years and some of them will be, I took this one guy, man, and, you know, he wanted to go so bad, you know, it was when I was in the military and he was in my unit. And I took him out, never been before, loaned him the Drake jacket, loaned him the waiters. gave him the gun. You know, guy didn't have any of this stuff, right? He was a lieutenant. You know, he was in my unit. He was, a, he was a really neat guy. You know, but, you know, you all know him. You know, you all meet him. And, you know, we take this guy out, put him in the boat. For that day, it was just incredible. Wind's cranking 30 miles an hour. Everybody knows the birds are just insane when the wind's going. You know, they're always moving. We shot, a, you know, a three-man limit. 45 minutes, we're done. I go to pick that guy up at the house the next morning, Todd. He's got a brand new shotgun, <laughs> brand new waiters, brand new, you know, Aww. great jacket. You know, this was back before sit cut, all that stuff. Brand new jacket, waiters, you know, you name it, you know, a case of shells. I mean, let's go. You know, he's he's got all the new gear ready. It was the funniest thing you ever seen. And um, you know, still got tags on it and stuff, you know. So we get you know, we get him out there in the marsh, had a great time, great shoot, but it stuck with him. And to yeah. this day, you know, no matter where he's traveled in the military, we continue to talk. We continue to share the experiences of that area that he's in and the waterfowl that he's shooting. And that passion stuck with him that first time. And then on the flip side, I've taken people out and, you know, they said, Hey, it was a great experience, but this is not for me, you know, right? right. I mean, I'm not to the birds. You, know, yeah. you can take them home. You can eat them because I'm not going to, and, you know, I mean, you know, to each his own, but, you know, if you're going to get, you know, people that are interested in it, you know, by all means, at least try, you know what I'm saying? Don't give up, you know, and what you were talking about while ago with the way it's gonna, it could explode or what the dynamics of it are. You know, when you were talking to Ramsey a couple of weeks ago, you know, he had a lot of, you know, some really excellent insight, you know, and what he put on that point. And that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, we see no matter what part of the country you're in, it's uh there's just a lot of a lot of things you're changing you know in the industry and in the sport and it's blown up so much you know when i was when i was in kansas in the early 90s the waterfowl limit was two birds that was it really two mallards that was it wow. and you know that was in 93 92 and you know we didn't even have neoprene waders you know i mean i'm out there in those rubber socks you slip on tennis shoes over and you're waiting out there breaking ice and the ice is cutting them. You finally just say, screw it. I'm going to stand here until my legs are numb, but I'm going to kill a bird, you know? And it was two birds. And I remember, I think it was 97, I believe it was, um, you know, they had Cabela's over in Kansas City and we had seen, got a flyer in the mail or something, you know, three, you know, three millimeter enduroprine waiters. And we were like, what the heck is this, man? Are you kidding me? Dude, we jump in the truck and drive three hours over there. You know, we buy three millimeter neoprene waiters, no insulation in the boots. And that was the best thing since sliced bread. And we got back and we're loving it, you know, and then you get the five and then you get the up to what, 1800, you know, fensulate or something like that. Now it's crazy. But, you know, you've seen it growing in the spinning wing decoy, man, are you kidding me? Here I am in Kansas Central Flyway and that thing came out. And I don't know if you ever remember the original one or if you ever had, oh, yeah. It. yeah, I still got it. It was a half decoy cut in half with a black box on the bottom of it with a three quarter inch conduit female receiver and some kind of weird rubber band on the side of it, man. And that was it, you know, and you shove two wings in that thing, but you take that thing out to Milford Lake or Tuttle Creek Lake there in Kansas or Cheyenne Bottoms and you stick it in the mud <laughs> and it was magic. You know, it was, the, it was the craziest thing you ever seen. And I now he- about them, You know, and it just, yeah. you, you know, the effects, of the amount of gear that we have out there now is off the charts and the money that's been shoved into this multi-billion dollar industry is incredible and the time and the energy and the research that these marketing guys have put into this stuff has just been incredible with the amount of stuff that they turned out that's helped waterfowlers out there in certain ways but you know i find myself sometimes man like this year you know my nephew; he's 24, good guy. I, you know I cut his teeth into the waterfowl hunting, and he's addicted to it. And he's out there with his pulsators, and he's out there with his little kickers—you know, the little orange feet kicking around the water and stuff. One, one day, and I said, "You know what, Chris? I said, let's try this. Let me introduce you to the jerk cord." Yeah. <laughs> he's like, "What?" Are you talking about? And I said, "Yeah, let's let's put all this all this battery-operated stuff up, and let's just watch watch what these six ducks do on this string." You know, and it was just a am- it just blew his mind. You know, I don't need all this technology to have an effective shoot and to have a great time, and that was really cool, you know. It's like, let's take an old bungee cord out of the back of the truck and let's hook it up to this one-pound weight and let's tie this 550 cord to these decoys, and that was it, you know. Let's pull on them, watch the motion, pull it in, let it go, birds land, shoot them, you're done. And it just blew his mind because here he is carrying around all this stuff, all this extra weight, having to worry about all these batteries being charged, And we just got right back to the basics, you know, and that was really, really cool. And that's, it's important that we let guys know that, you know, I mean, it doesn't show our age or anything because, you know, we're still out there doing it, but there's guys that are still, you know, going back to the basics on a lot of this stuff and they're being successful, you know, know, without spending all the money on all that. I I don't knock it because I've got a garage full of six-volt batteries. But.
1: Uh, i yeah same same dude and and you were just down here like i said you said montana and it was kind of funny I, I think i blew ram i think i blew ramsey's mind a little bit the two mornings that he hunted with me especially the first morning he got down the river right and he goes so where, where are you gonna put spinners <laughs> and i said i'm not i don't use i don't use them yeah. and he's like what do you mean you don't use them and i said That's i don't cool. I, I don't usually use them on the river
0: Right, right with
1: the with the amount of current in this fast river yeah, my, of- de- my decoys are there i got it's tons nasty. of movement tons of movement yeah. and the rocky bottom between the rocky bottom and then doing a floating one and the current messing with that it's hard to use a spinner uh, in in the in some of the, most of those spots sure, sure i said now Ramsey, if we were in a but we were in a cornfield or a barley field no. I'd have six or eight spinners out. You know what I mean? It's like right, right. that's different.
0: Right. But yeah, man,
1: on the river, it's it's just funny. You know, I getting back to the first time that I ever saw a spinner ever used one, same deal. Um late nineties, early mid 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 to late nineties. Right. They just kind of come out, and I remember hunting on a, a public managed marsh in the upper peninsula of Michigan. And there was a dude in the corner and he, this guy didn't walk 200 yards from the parking lot and he just, he set up some decoys, put a spinner out the that switch. Oh man. And every bird was like
0: yeah.
1: right exactly to him all morning long. Exactly and I looked, I looked at my buddies and I was like, this is ridiculous. And we, we stopped at the sport, sporting store on the way home and we, we all three pitched in and bought one. Heck yeah, we went back the next morning and shot three man limited birds over it, yeah. and it was no. ridiculous. I mean, As how effect, it, how effective they were to the point where where guys were like, "That shouldn't even be legal." It shouldn't be legal. It shouldn't be legal. <laughs> right. right? And right. and we're killing too many birds. They're too effective. Yeah. And the biologists it was yeah, funny. I think we did, we did, science. and the biologists and the old school guys that have been right. there and done that went, "The birds will get used to it." don't yeah. worry about it
0: watch what birds happens will get used to it yeah
1: and it was within within five years yeah now there's days when on on the those bright right on those bright sunny days and those birds are flying high I'll right. run a pair of spinners on the river right. if I if I can get them in the bottom we've got right. a buddy of mine's a, and a guide here and he man he fabricated wheel wells with brackets and a piece of pipe It's about the only way we could do it Right. Right. And, and, uh, there's days when you got to have them, they make a huge difference. There's a lot of days when I think the spread without them
0: sets you apart from everybody else. You're right. You know, um, you know, we were in, you know, we were on the Missouri river, you know, the other day. And my buddy runs two of them, you know, and you know, we were running them on the rivers. The birds were high. Now if a bird came up and down the river within 500 yards of the boundaries of that river, he was sucked into it. I mean, there was no doubt about it, but, you know, when we hit the fields, you know, the geese don't like those mounted spinners. for some Not reason. really.
1: Yeah, not really. You
0: no, know, he had them on remotes and those geese started working. He shut them off. You know, we didn't get to shoot a, a green head over the barley, but, you know, the opportunity was there, but it's just different, you know, scenarios provide different types of, you know, unique situations that you use them in, but you know getting back to that one that we used in kansas years ago in the 90s like you said we turned that thing on and there was probably half a dozen people around that marsh and they all were at the boat ramp when we got back they were like look i want to know what you had yeah what the yeah. hell you have that i don't know i'll never forget that morning night, you know but i mean it's it's been a lot of fun man it really has it's been a journey you know waterfowl hunting's a passion of mine it always has and then when we got into the into the organization, and then a good friend of mine, you know, um, Tim D'Alarm, you know, with the Alaska Outdoor Television Show. You know, mm-hmm. he, he came to our banquets, you know. He introduced himself, and me and him hit it off, and he hit me one day, and he said, hey, he goes, I film a lot of big game shows around Alaska. You know, I've got three or four guys I work with. We do moose, we do goat, we do sheep, we do all this stuff. You know, would you be interested in helping host – You know, because it doesn't seem to be too many people in Alaska. that are as well-versed in waterfowl as you are. And let's go out and let's maybe film a couple of shows. Let's talk about AWA. You know, let's talk about who you are. And let's go out and kill some birds together on film. So we just kind of did, I think the first show we did, you know, they're on YouTube. It was Alaska Outdoor Television and, you know, things like that. You know, we were on the Outdoor Channel for a few years. And we came off of that, you know. I think we're on prime now. But he helped me and helped the organization. He wanted to do. He saw how passionate we were with the organization. He said, "I can help these guys. So let's help them promote AWA. Let's help, you know, these guys get their message out." And man, it was huge. You know, huge kudos to Tim and Alaska Outdoor Television Show, and you know the networks and all that stuff for helping. But you know, it just became natural, you know, we'd go out through the camera, and you know, you start doing that stuff, and you're like, you know, you need me to act a certain way, or do something, and oh man, you know, just be yourself, have fun, you know, you're in your element already, I just want to capture it, you know, no matter who you're with, so we got very fortunate, did some great shows on sea ducks, we did some great shows on some puddle ducks, and we went to Kodiak, and some other things, and, but, you know, it helped us, with the organization, it helped us meet some really neat people that share the same passion and it helped bridge, you know, a lot of friendships and a lot of networks together, you know, over time. So I was very fortunate for that, you know, to be a part of that. You know, we've talked about doing some more stuff in the future, but for right now it's kind of on hold, you know, and if something comes up, you know, then we'll get out and do it again. You know, we were talking about maybe going to ADAC next year, you know, and doing a waterfowl caribou hunt out there or something like that. So it just kind of depends, you know, you start chasing brands and you start looking for sponsors and you start doing all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's tough, man. You know what I'm saying? You're in the business, you know, the deal. And it can get kind of rough at times, but things are going great for him. You know, things are going great for us, you know, and we're just going to keep, um, you know, we're just going to keep grinding it out, man. You know? you know, with the organization, you know, with what we're doing in Alaska with, uh, you know, with waterfowl hunting, as far as promoting it, you know, and getting the youth involved, and you know, supporting the youth organizations and things like that. I mean, that's what it's all about.
1: Uh, now you're know, abs- you're absolutely right. It's funny you talk about the TV show. That was the first. That was my introduction to to you. Okay, was I? That was where I first saw you. And I think I think I saw it on YouTube. Yeah. And I was like, man, who is this guy? You know, I I've spent some time in Alaska. I was, as you know, I we've talked before. Uh, and so there's that. I have a passion for, for that place and to see what you're doing in a place that I really like, I was like, okay, got my attention. I want to watch this. And I, and for, for people who haven't seen it, they can check it out on YouTube because you guys have got some super cool episodes and it gives a, it gives a glimpse into a whole other world, a whole other world. And yeah. And for guys that want to come up and do it, they can go and look and say, okay, they're hunting on Kodiak, they're doing this. I, I want to check this out. I want to see this. And right. that way I get an idea of what to expect because it's like you said, it's way, way different for the guy from Mississippi that's never been up there yeah. that's going to come out and do something. you know. And we see it here. Uh, A yeah. fr- friend of mine, Noah Miller, has Western Waterfowlers and he gets guys from down south that yeah. they come out here specifically to shoot common golden eyes and Barrow's golden eyes. Yeah. And then if they can get a, a buffle head or something sure. like that mixed in, but they come out here specifically for those. And you're like, well, you want to get in on a mallard hunt or, you know, shoot some hunt?" And they're like, nah, nah, we want those. We want those divers. Yeah. And it's like, okay, cool. But so guys can check that out and they can get an idea of what they're looking at. But yeah, yeah. man, that, that's the first time I saw you, but I want to circle back to something you said yeah. at the beginning of the podcast sure about your swan and you said you had to kind of ra- and you posted this on social media the other day yeah, too you i did. had to kind of get your head wrapped around the idea of shooting a swan i did i did tell, tell yeah. us tell us about well, that i
0: mean i mean you know when you look at at not just the north of america 41 with the trumper and the tundra but i mean you know and i think a lot of people you know you you know you're very sensitive you know when you're dealing with social media the way me and you do, you know, and the different types of people that we know out there in the network, and, you know, you can post something, man, and I mean, you know, it can take a hard left on you real quick, you know, with a lot of the, a lot of the crazy stuff, but people that follow me, people that know me, know my passion's waterfowl, and that's, you know, that's, that's my lifestyle, I love it, you know, I'm just trying to live the dream on that, but, when I put in for the swan tag, I was on the fence. I was like, you know, the swan's such a majestic bird. It is what it is. It's, it's a, it's just an iconic figure and such an iconic bird. And, you know, do I really want to go? Cause I had already accepted the fact that, you know, I'll shoot the North America 40. I don't have to shoot a swan. I don't ever have to shoot a swan. You know, I got my daughters telling me it's the spirit of some child or something. I mean, I mean, you know, you've got you got all this, I mean, you know, all these different weird it it was funny, you know. I told her last night, I said, I'm fixing to slap that swan on the traeger. You know, are you ready to dive into it? And she's like, No, it's the spirit of a child. I'm like, okay, that leaves more for me. You know, and the other daughter's like, you know, we're gonna eat it. And I said, Okay, but I mean, it's the whole, it's the whole ideology behind it, you know, and the fact that, you know, it's a swan, you know, and and I just decided when my buddy told me, he said, Look, man, you know, I know you've been on the fence with this thing, but it's got webbed feet. It makes noise like a duck. It's a waterfowl species. And if you do your research for the guys out there, there is literally hundreds of thousands of these birds migrating oh, across yeah. North America. There is no shortage in trumpeters or tundras. There's a handful of states that you can draw tags and hunt them in. And I would suggest if anybody's interested, or has any doubt, do your due diligence, do your research, because there are plenty of birds out there. My only, my only, um, the only thing that made a difference was I told my buddy, I said, "Look, I don't want to shoot one of a pair. That's it. If I can find a single bird, that's what I want to focus on." That was my criteria. And when we came up to that little pond, that little reservoir, and there was uh, seven, seven trumpeters and one tundra, and I said, "If that bird gets up," That's the one I'm focusing on right there, you know, because I didn't want to mess with any pairs. That was just my criteria. That's the criteria I set for myself. Somebody else might not do that. Sure. But that's what I had set for myself. And I shot that one tundra and that was it. it was beautiful shot, close shot, you know, 25 yards on the wing. That's what I wanted. I wanted it on the wing. I wanted it close, you know, because those are tough birds. I was shooting boss three inch, number threes, you know, I wasn't shooting BBs. I wasn't shooting twos and, you know, but I'm shooting a real tight pattern and, you know, and I said, if that bird's under 35 yards, it's going to die, you know, there's no doubt about it, so made a very selective shot on a very selective bird, I didn't want to cripple one, you know, I didn't want to have to worry about that, you know, as waterfowlers, you know, we owe that to our species of any game that we hunt, regardless if it's big game or not, all the way down to the birds, so I made a very selective decision on that bird at 25 yards, made a very clean kill, and I was ecstatic about it, man, it was such a humbling, experience and my buddies were up on the levee they saw it fall they saw it fold and walking over to that bird you know when i shot my emperor in 2017 when they came out with that same experience man i mean just uh extremely humbling experience and you pick it up and you look at it and you hold it and you know the feathers and the colors and You know, you try to capture as much as you can with photos and with pictures and with video. But, you know, we all know whether it's the first deer we shot, the first buffalo, the first duck, the first teal, whatever it is, there's something there that grabs you and holds on to you about that first experience. And it was really humbling. It was great. And, you know, we got back. We took some great pics of it, um, took it back to the house, you know, cleaned it up properly, you know, processed it properly. I'm going to do a shoulder mount on it. Yeah. I mean, I've got a nice cabin. I've got a place I, but I don't have a place to put a seven foot wingspan. You know, I just don't, I just don't have it. You know, I mean, I've got a bunch of other birds all over the place and I said, I'm just going to do a nice shoulder mount. You know, I'm going to do a nice frame picture, nice eight by 10 picture. And I'm going to put a frame on there and I pull the feather off the wing and I'll hot glue it to the top of it and I'll do a shoulder mount and that'll be it. You know, I do my own taxidermy. I always have, you know, that helps me out a lots of hobby and, um, you know, that's what I'm going to do with it. But, you know, it's just it – it was a really neat experience. And then, you know, that was the target bird. Once the target bird was down, it was open season on, you know, on some M&Ms and some Canadians. So, we had a lot of fun with that. But those Montana mallards, man, I tell you, those birds got in my heart. Um I'm going back. I told Frank when we left the other day. I said, brother, when they show up, you call me because I'm coming back down next month. I mean, if I got well, – those-
1: you get that close,
0: you better yeah. give me a holler because I will.
1: If they've got birds, chances are we've got birds. And if we've Dude, got I'd birds, love to share a bond with you, sometimes. oh there you go. Me too. Me too. Yeah. If, we, if we got birds, you holler and come on I'll down. Fly man. down there,
0: brother. Whatever come we got. Come on down.
1: To... Yeah, it'll be fun. That'd be that'd be yeah. a lot of fun. We'll get you in, fun. A, stick you in a sticky in a cornfield where they're landing on your face. I just oh, you know I,
0: you know that's something we don't get up here, you know, yeah. to experience something yeah. like yeah. that is just you know, you see the videos, you watch the stories, these guys, you know, you mentioned the other day on a podcast, how well these guys are doing with, with cameras and social media stuff, you know, and these guys are going out and filming these awesome shoots and, you know, they're doing great things for the sport and great thing for their companies and their guide businesses. But it's just, you know, it's just incredible. The amount of, I mean, birds, these guys are getting to come into these fields that I'm seeing. And I'm like, man, you know, What kind of an experience is that, you know, to be laying in the cornfield in the blind and you're talking about, you know, the funnel effect, you know, and they're just pouring in there that, you know, that would be a treat. That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah,
1: no, it is. It is. We, we get it occasionally here. Um, It's, we don't, we get it enough where you get good at it but at the same time it doesn't lose its luster you right. know where i don't think, I don't, like, I don't oh, think anybody
0: dude. can get tired of a mallard cyclone it down oh into the spray. No, it's don't. it's
1: epic you know you yeah. said you said something earlier um where i where i grew up it is it was way far north for the lower 48 and i think your seasons up there were what which way you're talking you know growing up it was a treat to get a Fully plumed out Drake Mallard. Or yeah, those ducks were brown, you know. Our yeah. season started the last like late September, and right. same thing. Everything was frozen by mid-November, you know, mm. and it was like by this time of year, you had to be hunting a river someplace. Right. Um, right. so it's so it's interesting. So being able to transition into something different, like Mallard cycloning into a cornfield, or yeah, that's just, just I different. Mean- it's just different. You know,
0: sitting sitting on the river last week. I've never shot seven green heads, you know, in a long time, you know what I'm saying? Since the nineties, when I was back in Kansas and sit there on the Missouri river and see nothing but mallards. I mean, that was a treat, man. You know, it really was. I mean, it got to the point to where of all the birds I've got mounted and all the birds I've mounted myself, I don't have a green head in the house. That's it. I mean, that's one of the birds I have I mean, killed hundreds of them, but that's just one I don't have. So, be, you know, Frank's like, look, man, one of these birds you need to take back with you. Yeah you to put it on your wall and but you know we got to look at him and stuff and he said you know what just wait till next month you know if you can't get back down here you know then I'll save you one or something but you know just really really nice to be able to have the opportunity to see that many birds and that's you know such a small environment you know as far as a 100 foot I mean you know, 100 yard wide section of the Missouri River and the amount of birds that we saw and they're really not even there yet you know so you can just imagine when they really get in there, you know, and the stories that's been told about those barley fields and those corn fields, that's just got to be, that that's just got to be one heck of an experience, man.
1: Yeah, it can be pretty. It can be pretty special. It can be pretty yeah. special. But when it happens, I'll get a hold of you if you can make it down. We'll make it yeah, happen. But up to that'd be great. Cool well dude this has been awesome and been i want fun. yeah i want to continue this face to face sometime this would be great
0: <laughs> let's do it let's get yeah. in the and
1: spend some time together heck, heck, heck yeah man i love it i love it well thank you so much for jumping on with us uh, thanks for it. having me, we've man. been on we've been on almost two hours and yeah dude yeah it's it's <laughs> no way
0: it's 10 o'clock my time <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. We'll let you get some sleep, brother. Yeah, no worries. You know, if you've got any questions or anybody out there, you know, that you know of that might be interested in coming to Alaska to chase waterfowl, tell them to reach out to me, man. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'll be willing to help anybody. You know, I don't get any commission off of this stuff. I don't make anything off of this. I just want to help these guys be able to make the right decision, chasing the right species with the right outfitters. And if I can provide some insight and some education and help these guys with their due diligence, Todd, that's what I want to do.
1: I love it. I love it. Well, that's I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to close this out with one okay. question that I've been trying to remember to ask guests. If you could only hunt one bird, one way for the rest of your
0: life, what's it going to be? Black Brant. Yeah. I love them. i tell you, man, cold Bay, the Pacific black Brant, the way those birds slide in the decoys and the way they fly, they are incredible to hunt. I mean, I've hunted birds all over the United States, man. But once I started going there, I just got addicted to it. We all did. There's nothing like hunting Pacific Black Brand. I mean, I've been on the East Coast last year, hunting Atlantic Brand. Fly the same, pretty much do the same thing. But the sheer numbers and the way those birds decoy and the sounds they make, it's, it's beautiful, man. It is. It's an awesome sight. Uh, super is. cool.
1: That's super good. cool. Well, thank you, Hugh. I'll let you yeah. get
0: back to your family. Appreciate Thanks, it. Brother.
1: Yeah, take care of yourself.
0: Stay in touch. You, you too. Have a good one. All right, buddy. Bye.